0: Uh, For those of you that don't know me, my name is Prentice. I'm the pastor here at Bethany West Seattle. And it's a privilege for me to be here uh, to share God's word uh, with you. Uh, It's been a couple weeks because we've been in uh, just an awesome series called uh, God's Chosen. And and speaking of various uh, women in the Bible. And so we've had some special guest speakers. But after a couple weeks, uh, I'm so excited to be back to to share with you how God has been speaking uh, to me. And so uh, the verse today comes from... Uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. And let me just read this uh, to you guys. It says, Soon afterwards, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, as well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Chusa, And Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their resources. Uh, So this morning we're going to be talking about Mary Magdalene specifically. And I'm excited to share how Mary Magdalene has has showed us what it looks like uh, to receive from God and from others. And out of that receive receiving... Uh, to give joyfully and abundantly uh, to our community, to our, to our church, to, to our friends, and to our families. And so I'm excited to dig deeper into this. Let me pray and we'll get started. God, thank you so much that we get to learn from people that followed after you. God, we thank you for Mary Magdalene and her story. And may we resonate with that. May we find our stories within that. And so God, we thank you for what you have to say and teach us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, how's everyone doing this morning? Good. Okay, I, I loved worship this morning. It was so amazing. I just felt like you know everyone was participating, and I was like, man, it's so loud. I love it. Like, man, there must be like 200 people behind me. Turn around, and most people are out like enjoying the sun. But that's all right. I love uh, that we were worshiping together and singing in one in one voice. Uh, this week, someone asked me how how my how my day was on one of the days. Uh, And I was thinking about my day, and and this is how the whole week went, that the highlight of the week happened on this particular day, uh, and it had to do with beef jerky, okay? Now now stay with me here. I remember I was going to the store before a staff meeting, uh, and, you know, I had some time, so I was like, all right, I'm going to buy some food for the week, Uh, I'm going to go grocery shopping, and I saw this huge bag of beef jerky. That was on sale for $5. And I thought, if you're a beef jerky fan, like I am, that is an unbelievable deal. And so I grabbed the beef jerky. I mean, well, kind of beef jerky, like jerky sticks, you know, like a whole bunch of them. I I grabbed it, and I thought to myself, all right, $5, I'm going to buy this. And if I were to be someone who planned my meals in Tupperware, it would be like I would put five sticks in each piece of Tupperware and some potato chips, and that would be my meal. And so I, I, I bought it, uh, and then I went to the store, or, and then I checked out, and on my way out, I was looking at my receipt, and it said 19 dollars It said I just spent $20 on this beef jerky. And I thought, no, 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 that, that can't be right, because uh, I looked at it, and I saw the sign, I double-checked, and I took it to the customer service area, and I said, hey, there's been a mistake, uh, apparently, the, the, I was charged $20 for the what I thought was five dollars, and so she walked with me, we took a look, and lo and behold, like the signage was wrong, and so she said all right that 's our fault, so we will refund you fifteen dollars, and so you can have the bag for five dollars right, and I know this is a really silly story, uh, but for those of you that love beef turkey like me can really appreciate the story because I took it back and I said, "Oh my gosh, I just paid five dollars for a bag that was supposed to be twenty now." The feeling I had afterwards was kind of what the kicker was, because I was going to the staff meeting, uh, and I thought, I can't eat this by myself now. Like, I would just feel too guilty if I ate this by myself, because I realized that it was kind of a gift. Uh, I don't know if this is God's way of saying, hey, man, I got you. You know, like, I don't know what it was, but this bag of beef turkey was $5, so I took it to the staff meeting, and I told the staff, and I was like, hey, you know what, this was going to be my meal for the whole week, but... Uh, because, we, because I felt like God was doing me a solid and gave it to me for $5, I felt like I have to share. I have to share. I can't eat this by myself because it was a gift. Uh, and it was an awesome gift, I might add. And, and I know this is kind of a silly story, uh, and most of you are saying, where are you going with this? Why are you talking so long about beef jerky? But here's the deal. Uh, here's the deal. What I realized is this is the way we actually operate. And I know that was a silly story, and it's not just during that moment, but many of us, when we actually realize something is a gift, or when we realize we receive something, even abundantly of it, we realize it's a gift. It's not necessarily because of our efforts, because we're so special, or because all the work that we put into it, although sometimes that is true, but when we realize that something has been given to us as a gift, there's something that shifts in our hearts, As we receive gifts, something so freely, something so abundantly, something shifts in our mentality and our hearts where we're more able to give it away. Because at that moment, we're no longer operating from a place of scarcity, but a place of enough. And for many of us and all of us, I would say this has been a struggle for most of our lives, even myself. Is taking a step back and taking an inventory of all the things in our lives, not just the things, but the people and the relationships and the opportunities, our work, our resources, taking back and, and really taking an inventory of what all we have. And I promise you, when we start to change our attitude, not to, I deserve this, this is mine, to, wow, it's a privilege, it's a gift, something happens in our hearts where we become more liberated to give and to share and to not become a slave to our riches, but actually to be a master of it. See, what the, the big idea is this. this is, it's your ability to know that you've been given much becomes indicative to your ability to give much. Your ability to know that you've been given much becomes indicative to your ability to... To actually give much back in return. When we realize things, people, resources, opportunities are actually a gift to us from God. You're able to in turn let it go. There's an irony. There's a paradox to that. To give it away much more freely. Because that's when you're experiencing freedom. And not bondage from all the things and the, and the stuff and the people and the money that you have. It becomes something that's worshipful that you give away. And, and this is really what we learn from Mary Magdalene. Is that this woman understood the gifts and, and the way that God has healed her and walked alongside her and liberated her. That actually changed her soul, her heart, her mind, her mentality in order to give back out of her abundance, out of her enough. And and so as we continue to talk about Mary Magdalene, it's important for us to actually talk about uh, not only who she is, but who Mary was not. Uh, And and first of all, Mary, uh, when we we meet her in Luke chapter 8, is not the same person oftentimes deemed as Mary in Luke chapter 7. Uh, see, in Luke chapter 7, there's a, it's a parable called, or not a parable, it's a story of the, the sinful woman who comes in, as, as, uh, meets with Jesus, and cleans his feet with her tears, with her hair, and puts perfume on him. And, and so oftentimes this woman, the sinful woman in, in Luke chapter 7, is deemed as the sinful woman, or a.k.a. the the prostitute, because oftentimes... Uh, the way we translate that is, that was a profession. And so oftentimes, because of the connection, people, many of us, myself included, at one point or another, uh, when we think about Mary Magdalene, we think of Mary, Magdalene was, was a prostitute, or the sinful woman Luke chapter seven. And that simply just isn't true. Uh, there are different Marys. There are different Marys all throughout the first century, as a matter of fact. It's a very common Jewish name. And so oftentimes when other Uh, theologians and pastors will look at the word mary the name mary and say oh well that this must be the same mary and that that's just inaccurate uh because of so many marys in the first century in the new testament that's like someone come up to me and saying oh oh man your last name is park yeah i know a korean dude named park with last name park in uh new york do you know him and i would say oh man no i don't sorry oh shoot okay well never mind that's awkward And so oftentimes when we think about Mary's, and even Jesus was a very popular name. So let's not get that confused. So Mary was, in in Luke chapter 8, Mary Magdalene was not the sinful woman. Let's make that clear. And number two, uh, Mary Magdalene was not Jesus' secret lover. Okay? There's nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in the entire Bible uh, is there an indication that Mary Magdalene and Jesus were somehow married or, uh, or lovers, or, or whatever it is. I know that there's been uh, literature and, and books in the past that have uh, alluded to that or, or talked about that, and so that is not, at least what we gather from the Bible, true. Uh, if anything, what we see is a relationship between Jesus and Mary as, as teacher and student. Uh, Jesus was Mary's uh, rabbi, teacher, and so oftentimes Mary would refer to Jesus as rabbi in Aramaic, meaning teacher, teacher. Uh, And so those are the common myths that we hear about Mary, that A, Mary was uh, Jesus' wife, uh, or second, that Mary was the sinful woman, and neither one of those uh, is true. What is true about Mary is really cool. What we know about Mary is that she's from a town uh, in Galilee called Magdala, and so hence her name, Mary Magdalene. Uh, She is from a town called Magdala. Uh, and ultimately what I love about Mary is that she becomes the first evangelist. Essentially, Uh, when she hears from Jesus, Jesus says, now go, now go and tell my disciples, now go and tell uh, my brothers uh, about the good news, about who I am and what I'm doing, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, but Mary was essentially the first evangelist, and and not only was Mary uh, an evangelist, uh, but Mary was actually a supporter of Jesus. Uh, and we'll talk about this again in just a little bit. But it says that, uh, uh, that Mary from Magdalene, uh, Joanna, uh, who was Herod's, the wife of Herod's steward, uh, and Susanna, they were the ones that resourced Jesus and his disciples in their ministry. Uh, and what we'll find is that uh, they, particularly Mary, Uh, probably came from a middle-class one, really an upper-class family uh, with wealth, and that would support Jesus's ministry and his mission, uh, not just through prayer and not just through nurturing, how many of us would think of it, but even financially. And so that was Mary. Mary Magdalene, someone who followed Jesus, uh, and, and we get so much out of her story because what we see and we the author was very uh, specific on sharing was this, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. I mean, let's, let's not gloss over that. Uh, it, well, we, we see the latter portions of Mary and Jesus' relationship, how they were so close, how it was teacher and student, uh, and really Mary did not leave aside from, from crucifixion to resurrection. Mary was there. Mary loved Jesus. And what we can tell is that how that developed was this, that Mary, who had seven demons, Jesus, cast, Jesus healed her from her possession, from, her, from the demons being inside of her. And what we know about evil spirits taking over one in the first century, you were considered unclean. In the Jewish faith, in Jewish religion, especially in the first century, if you were known to have demons inside of you, if you were, you know, possessed or whatnot, uh, the attitude around the community would be that you were unclean, that you were dirty. Uh, Essentially, you'd be a social outcast. That you did something wrong, therefore, this is happening to you, Uh, or not even you did something wrong, but. Your family did something wrong. Or generations and generations did something wrong. So thus, not only are you shunned from the community, but your whole family is too. I mean, could you imagine being married when there were seven demons inside of her? And when she was deemed as unclean and dirty and and a social outcast? Can you imagine what kind of life that she must have lived? I mean, we've all felt a sense of loneliness before. We've all sensed uh, a feeling of betrayal and uh, and isolation. I mean, if it is true that in Genesis 1 and 2 that we were actually created to be in relationship, that if God's perfect idea for humanity was for for people to be interconnected with one another, can you imagine, I'm sure you can because we felt this, to be disconnected from that? I mean, that's actually uh, Genesis chapter 3, right? So Genesis 1 and 2 is God's plan for humanity, a connectedness, a shalom between relationships. Genesis 3 is exactly what it's supposed to not look like, a brokenness, a division. And there was blame between Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, and there was isolation, there was covering, there was embarrassment, there was shame. I mean, that's exactly what God didn't want for humanity, and we see this isolation, this division all throughout Scripture, and we see this in, in Mary. And a big part of her life, who knows how long, who knows what these, this demon means or how she was possessed or what that looked like. We don't really know, but we do know that the byproduct of that is isolation. It's actually Genesis chapter 3. It's a division. It's a pain. It's a hurt. It's a sense of loneliness. And that is the kind of life that Mary Magdalene lived, and probably not just for herself, but her entire family, And yet, we skip by this verse that says, from whom seven demons had gone out. We have to understand that Jesus came and brought healing. And not just a physical sense of healing, though that is true, but with that physical healing came healing relationally. Within our own soul, within our own family, within our own community, there was healing that came. Not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually, inside and out. I mean, her life significantly changed because of the work and the healing that Jesus did when they came and encountered face-to-face. There was loneliness, there was brokenness, isolation, pain, betrayal, shame. And then suddenly she encounters Jesus. And Jesus heals her restores her, brings that sense of peace, that shalom that we were all created for in Genesis 1 and 2. The evil spirits are left. And hence, we can see why there's so much uh, grace and so much kindness and so much compassion in Mary, uh, Mary Magdalene. Again, she was the last one to leave the cross when Jesus was crucified. While all the other disciples ran away, while all the people gave up hope, Mary stood there and watched her teacher, her savior, her friend be crucified and be killed. And when uh, Jesus moved to the tomb, Mary was the first one there as well, along with other women at the tomb to give him a proper burial. See, Mary's ability to know, and she had a strong ability to know that she was given much, it actually became indicative to her ability to give much. and To give much back in return to God, to her God, Jesus, her teacher. Basically, what she was saying was, I'm going to follow you wherever you go, Jesus. You're my teacher, You're the one I love. You're the one who's healed me. You're the one who restored my life. And therefore, in return, I can do nothing but follow after you. You're going to go to the cross. I'm going to go to the cross. You're going to the tomb. I'm going to the tomb. Wherever you go, I'm going to follow you is the mentality that Mary had. See, her ability to know that she was given much became indicative to her ability to give much. And she gave much in three ways. In three specific ways, actually, one we'll talk about. She gave with courage. She gave with courage. To give, whether, whether it's, and when I say give, I don't just mean monetarily or financially or with, with things. To, for us to give of our, of our stuff, it could be our monetarily, it could be financially, of our resources, of our time, of our emotions, that takes courage, That takes a lot of risk. That takes a lot of vulnerability. And so many times, we again, we operate from a place of of fear and and scarcity, like there's never enough. So I have to keep collecting. I have to keep hoarding. I can't give things away because otherwise it will be taken away from me or I'll have nothing left or I'll be hurt or damaged or heartbroken because of it. And so I can't give. You see, it takes courage to A, know that you've received much, and out of receiving much, when we truly embrace that and know that courageously, we can then give it away. Because we know as we give it away, we still have much. We don't live from a place of scarcity. We don't place, live from a place of fear. I, I love this story in John chapter 20. Uh, it, it, it's a big chunk, so let me just read this to you guys. So there's an angel saying, Mary, why are you crying? You know, what's going on? And Mary's like, where's Jesus? Where is my Lord? Jesus is right here in the tomb, but now Jesus is gone. And this is at this time, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. Can you imagine? Jesus, where are you? Jesus, where are you? Turns around, and, and there's Jesus. She turned around and saw Jesus standing there, uh, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He, Jesus then asked her, woman, why are you crying? who is it that you are looking for? And then it says, thinking that he was a gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. So there's a little, little bit of a misunderstanding. Uh, Mary saw Jesus but didn't recognize Jesus and was like, oh, you must be the gardener. So gardener, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? And then finally, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. So, so finally she said, okay, you're not the gardener, you're, you're Jesus, you're my teacher. So there was that connection. And then Jesus says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. So here, here she is, as being the first evangelist. She receives the good news from Jesus. And Jesus commissions Mary and says, go tell my disciples, go tell my brothers the good news. So Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the good news. I have seen the Lord. And then she told them that he had said these things to her. The last verse I'll read, this is the important part. It says, on that evening, on the same evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with uh, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I love just, just even imagining the, the picture, the image of, what, of what's happening. You see two very stark different responses between the disciples and, and Mary. Mary. See, Mary, I don't know if it's lackadaisical. I, I don't know if it's naive, her being naive. I don't know, but she is sticking with Jesus. I mean, she doesn't know exactly what happened to him besides the fact that he was once dead, now rose again. That's what she knows. She didn't know that when he, he first died. But yet she was still committed to being along his, by his side. Not knowing what, the, what was going to happen. And we see the other side while Mary is just saying, Jesus, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to be right here. I'm going to do all the proper burial. His disciples actually leave and run away. And not only run away, but it says they go into a room and lock the door because they're afraid. See, what's happening here is that uh, they crucified Jesus for this movement that he was uh, rallying in the community. And To put that to an end, they killed Jesus, and in order to fully put it at at an end, uh, they would probably kill his disciples, the one that would continue sharing the good news. And so the disciples, in fear of their lives, would run away and lock the doors uh, so they wouldn't be found out. But yet we see Mary having a whole different attitude, doing a different approach. Mary was right there. Mary was like, Jesus, I'm here no matter what because Mary, what I really believe is responding to the way that she was given much, that even if her life was on the line, she was going to give much. And what we have to understand about Mary giving much to Jesus, to the disciples, to the people around her, was that it required a lot of courage. See, while all the other disciples, they ran away and they hid, Mary understood that she was given so much. She was actually given her life back from a brokenness to a wholeness. And from that point on said, Jesus, I'm committed to following after you, even if it costs me my life. Because she understands she was given much, and it enabled her to give much. And that's what she did. I mean, have you ever poured into something or someone and it didn't just pan out the way you imagined? I mean, a lot of us here, we can probably think of it in a moment where, you know, maybe it was a, it was a, a job. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was, uh, you know, a house that you put an offer on. Maybe it's a, a, a promotion. Maybe it's a, something that you imagine for your family, your children. And you imagine it to go one way, and all of a sudden, one day, it doesn't go that way. It's broken. And all of a sudden, you are completely disappointed. I mean, that was the disciples. When the disciples they followed after Jesus for so long, followed after his teaching. And, and, and really believe that Jesus was the Savior, the Savior that the Jews were looking for in the moment of oppression with the Romans, and, and you know all the things that were happening in the first century. They were saying, "We need a Savior." Jesus comes. They say, "Jesus is our Savior." Next thing they knew, Jesus was on the cross and he died. You have to realize that they may have been his disciples, but they didn't know the end of the story. They didn't know that after three days he was going to rise again. All they knew is that, oh my goodness, the, the one that we put all our stock in, all of our hope in, is now gone. Gone. And they locked the door. I mean, I feel like we've, we've fallen into this, this myth that, that I call the, the if-then myth. If I do it this way, then the outcome will turn out this way. You know, if, if I go to a good school, if I get a good job, then I will be successful. If I do all the right things, say all the right things, then I'll be in this relationship. If I do, whatever it is, we have this myth, if I do this, then this will happen. And that's what the, the disciples said. If I follow Jesus, if I believe that it's true what he says, then there's gonna be a savior. Jesus will save us from what's happening. And it just didn't happen. A lot of us, we have this if attitude, then something will happen. And what we realize is oftentimes in, in hard ways, and the hard way, is that that just simply isn't true. What we realize is that this simply is not true. And if you've ever experienced the fallacy of this myth, then the more and more it perpetuates a fear for us to give. Give much, give freely of your time, your resources, your emotions, your love. The more and more we, we have experienced this disappointment that this if-then is only a myth and it doesn't come true, then we cling even tighter to the things that we have. And we have a hard time giving it away because we felt that disappointment before, just like those disciples and out of fear, we lock ourselves up in this metaphorical room, and we lock the doors. A few weeks ago, I was coming home from church, and I go inside my house, and I'm you know, laying down on the couch. It's kind of my just zen time. And all of a sudden, as I was laying down, I hear this big screech, uh, and I look out of the window, and this car went off the road and into the ditch. And I run out there, and he's okay. He's kind of frustrated, and he's, I can tell he's really angry. Obviously, you know, he, it's not good news. And so he's like, hey, can you help me to, to get this car out of this ditch? And I said, I'll give it a shot. You know, I don't know if enough crossmen in the world could help me lift this car and just put it down back on the street. Uh, and so he was in the driver's seat, and he was trying to gas it while I was trying to push. And it, the car wasn't budging. Like, I was trying to push and push, and it just wasn't happening. And so... Uh, miraculously, another person saw that we were having trouble, came out of his car and decided to help us move. Uh, and so again, he was in his car trying to put it in reverse to get out of the ditch. And there's two of us here. Well, I mean, we're, we're sweating. We're trying to get this car out and the car's barely, barely moving. And I can tell that this driver is just even more frustrated and, angry, and even more than usual like more than someone would actually you know be upset about and i'm like man there's something more going on here and i don't know what that is but there's something more going on here and after several minutes of trying i'm just like man you might have to call a tow truck because this isn't happening and then suddenly we see another person pull over in a big truck who had this chain with his hook and said hey you know would you like me to give this a shot and he was like yeah yeah and so after a few minutes you know we we put the the hook on the guy's car and the truck moved, and we pushed at the same time. And finally, finally, the car came out of the ditch. And what was amazing to me was that three strangers would pull over or come outside to help this individual pull his car out of the ditch. And, and the whole ironic part of that whole story is that after we did that, he was, the driver was still angry and, and, and explained to us how he got into this mess. And, of course, he was blaming his girlfriend. Uh, and he was saying, we got into this fight uh, and, you know, X, Y, and Z happened. And I fell in this ditch. And then he said, man, I'm not going to trust anyone ever again. He says, I've lost hope in all of humanity, you know, in everybody. And that was the ironic part because then the guy with the truck was like, well, wait a minute. Do you see what's happening here? Like, if there were no good people, if you had nothing to be thankful for, at least this, three strangers came out and helped you. And finally it hit him and he was like, yes, actually, you're right. You know, you know thank you. But the whole irony is, oftentimes, we are that person. We don't understand that much has been given to us. Therefore, we have a problem giving much to others. And oftentimes, I would say it's out of fear, of scarcity, of not having enough. Of If I give this away, then I have to earn it again, or it'll disappear Or if I give it away, whatever that it is, I'll be hurt. You know, we've all had friends, or maybe it's yourself, that have been through a bad relationship. That may have uttered words like, I'll never love again. Or I'll never, you know, uh, risk a relationship ever again. I hear that from people. Because of the hurt. Because in order to do so, you have to give some part of yourself away. And that is scary. And it takes courage. But when we know that we've been so loved, when we have been redeemed and restored and pursued with this intimate and deep love that Jesus has for us so deep that he would go on the cross for us, may that give us the strength then to love and to give freely and abundantly to others. So Mary gave much with courage. Give with courage. Mary gave much with perseverance. Uh, Another way of saying this is is with with loyalty. See, in John chapter 19, it says this. It says, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So at the cross, you see Mary, and you see the other women uh, at the feet of Jesus, and then John chapter 20 says, Early in the first day of the week, while it was dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. You, you see what's happening here? Every time we see that Jesus is moving from one place to, to the other, who we see is Mary. And not only Mary, but really the other band of women, the other women that were friends would, would just go wherever Jesus was. And again, uh, what I would submit to you is that all of them, particularly Mary of Magdalene, understood the ways that Jesus has healed and restored and has given to her life that she says that I will give to you, I will love you, I will follow after you with courage, even though it's going to cost me my life perhaps. That's why the disciples ran, but not only with courage, but with perseverance. See, Mary didn't know the end of the story. For all Mary knew, Jesus died and was not going to rise again, was not going to come back alive. He was just dead. And and yet, you see, Mary did not give up. Mary went to the cross. Mary went to the tomb. Mary went to uh, do the proper burial. Mary did not leave Jesus' body, essentially. See, I don't know, you know, what Mary knew, what Mary didn't know. But what I do know is that there was probably some severe disappointment. Here was this guy, Jesus, who was supposed to be their savior, just died. And without knowing the end of the story, without Mary knowing the end of the story, Mary was still faithful. See, maybe there's something in your life. Well, the story isn't over yet. Well, the story isn't over yet. It's still unfolding. Yet, you and I and we oftentimes are so quick to pull the plug, and to put a period at the end of that story when God just is not finished. So we can learn from Mary. Not only Mary's courage, but Mary's perseverance to stay in the game. That there's ways that God is working in your life right now. You don't know how. You don't know what. You don't know when. But what you do know is to be faithful. To be consistently pursuing after God and God's wisdom and God's calling. When you know that, when you know that you're operating, when you're not operating from a place of scarcity, rather you're operating from a place of fullness, you become a little bit more reckless to give away your love, your time, your investments because you know that you've been given much and therefore you can freely give much. And let me just say this. I love Brene Brown's quote. Brene Brown says this. The opposite of scarcity is not abundance, but rather choosing a mindset of sufficiency. I love that. Brene Brown says, the opposite of scarcity isn't abundance. We think that the opposite of scarcity of fear of not having enough is having a lot. If we have a little, then the better part is having a lot. And that's just not true. The opposite of scarcity isn't abundance, aka having a lot, but rather choosing a mindset of sufficiency. It's knowing that there's simply enough. Knowing that there is enough, that we are simply enough period. Do you know that you have enough? Do you know that you are enough? And when we truly understand that we have enough because of what God has given us, when we truly believe that we are enough because of how God created us, then it liberates us. We don't hold on to things. We don't live out of scarcity. We don't live out of fear. We can abundantly and gracefully and compassionately give. Because we have enough. And so, not only do, does Mary teach us to, to, to give uh, with courage, with perseverance, and not to give up, don't give up. Stay in the game. Is it a relationship that you have to just continue pursuing for reconciliation, for restoration? It, you don't, give up on, you know, don't give up on your children. I know like the decisions that I've made in my life, I'm so thankful that my mom and my dad were by me the whole time. They didn't give up on me. Maybe there's people, special people in your life that while the rest of the world just gives up on, maybe uh, you are called to say, I'm not gonna give up on you. Maybe it's a people group that says, well, the rest of the world has marginalized you, has oppressed you, has pushed you to the side. I'm not gonna give up on you. I'm gonna stay in the game. And to love you, Because I've been given much. And so therefore, I'm going to give much. And so when we see people on the fringes, when we see people hurting from systemic violence, from systemic discrimination, homelessness, racism, gender discrimination, sexuality, whatever it is, refugee crisis... Well, the rest of the world we see has given up, has not been on their side, Jesus says to follow, if you're going to follow me, you're going to be on the side of these. Because you've been given much. So now give much with courage, with perseverance. Do not give up. Stay in the game. Yes, there's such thing as boundaries, and that's a whole different sermon. I talk about that all the time. That's necessary. If you're being abused, if you're being assaulted, just harassment, stop, run away. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about all of, a lot of us, in the name of boundaries, we say, I'm going to give up on you. And there's something about us having a lot, being given, given, given much, where well, then we can give away a little bit recklessly. And I say that in tongue-in-cheek. I don't mean that, you know, being... You know, not making good decisions, but there's something about understanding that we've been given so much that we can be a little bit more gracious. May we be that. I mean, are you close to giving up on something, on someone? Are you tired? Are you weary uh, of the energy that you've put in? Be like Mary, be courageous. Persevere. And I know it's hard. But I love learning from people like Mary Magdalene, who said and acknowledged that because she has been given much, that freely she can give away. And I'm going to ask the band to come back up as we enter into this time of response and communion. Are you afraid to give much? Are you, are you afraid to, to lean into the way that God has called you? Are you tired? Jesus gives us strength. Jesus says to sit back like Mary and reflect on the ways that God has given to you the opportunities presented to you to take action to be more faithful to God's calling. And we enter in time of communion, and the way we do it at Bethany West Seattle is we just come from the inside and come out. Uh, we just take the bread, we dip it into the, the juice, and we partake in it, and everyone's welcome to the table. On the night that Jesus was actually crucified, Jesus says, take this bread, eat it, in remembrance of me. This is my body that was broken for you. And he says, take this cup and receive it. This is my blood that was shed for you. And, and I would say this alone, the, what communion, the Eucharist represents, is the very reason for us to feel and to understand and to know that we have been given much, this, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus on our behalf, who now still continues to walk alongside us and saves us every day, restores us, heals us. We've been given much. And out of that, with courage, with perseverance, may we give much. May we give much. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for the ways that you've worked in our lives. And may we respond as an act of worship to give of ourselves and convict us of the ways that, that should look. Is it with our finances have we been given much in our finances may we give that freely have we been given much in in love and friendship and relationships? may we give that away as well may we love and befriend others the way we have been given have we been blessed with material possessions may we be generous and hospitable as we freely give much of that as we receive your love God may we give your love away because we know that we've been given much by you. We thank you for your life, your death, and your resurrection. We take this communion in remembrance of you and all the things that's been given much to us. In your name we pray, amen. As we stand in worship, I just ask you to come when you're ready.